from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Good Friday edition, Christians around the world are preparing to celebrate the most significant day in the Christian faith this Sunday. The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that and much more. Our guests today include Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. He'll be talking about how clergy are now being listed among those providing essential services in emergency situations. Jeremy Dice, Special Counsel for First Liberty, is here with the latest on a few rogue mayors restricting churches from having drive-in services at their churches. And Senior Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church in New York is here about how the lights may be out this Sunday in church buildings. But the light of the gospel, based upon what we've been seeing in this crisis, is going to reach a whole lot more people. That and a lot more to come on Washington Watch. But I want to go first to my straight to my first guest, a former radio talk show host, a member of Congress, and now... The 48th Vice President of the United States, Vice President Mike Pence. Vice President, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony Perkins, it is good to be with you on Washington Watch. And uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for all you've done uh, as our nation uh, contended from the very beginning with the coronavirus. Uh, we've appreciated your voice uh, and, and are grateful for your support and prayers. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Vice President. And and I I know I will hear from my listeners if I don't do this first. I want you to know that every time I talk to to someone, they ask me, please tell the president and the vice president we support them and we are praying for them. I hear that every time I go out, every time I'm talking to some of our supporters. And so know that uh, you and the president are being prayed for daily by many people all across this nation. Tony, we know it, and uh, I want to tell all of your listeners across the country that we, we feel those prayers every day, um, and uh, we couldn't be more grateful. And I, the progress that we are, are making, uh, I know, is, uh, it, is a, it is a tribute to God's grace and a, and a tribute to the incredible compassion and cooperation of the American people. I mean, we, we have asked the American people first with 15 days and now with 30 days to slow the spread, to, uh, to, make, uh, to make real sacrifices, to put uh, the health and well-being of, uh, of their neighbors first. And uh, tens of millions of Americans are doing that. And despite the heartbreaking losses uh, of this week, uh, particularly in the New York and New Jersey areas, we've we've seen now more than um, 17,000 Americans uh, lose their life to the coronavirus. I want to tell your viewers to be encouraged because we're also seeing, in, in the midst of those heartbreaking numbers, we're we are seeing uh, rays of real progress, and uh, um, we're seeing hospitalizations declining consistently in New York. We're seeing evidence that cases are leveling off in the greater New York City area and Louisiana and in Detroit. And uh, again, it's, it is a tribute. It is a tribute to uh, God's grace, but it's a tribute to the, the great compassion and cooperation of the American people in heeding the president's coronavirus guidelines uh, for America. 
Well, Mr. Vice President, I was watching the uh, press conference just uh, a little bit ago where the president was up. You were there with the president. And, uh, you know, now the projections are that we're going to to, to see less than 100,000 uh, fatalities uh, as a result of this, uh, the virus. Um, that's significantly lower than some projections. Is this the result of the, as you said, people uh, heeding the guidance of the CDC and, and, and quite frankly, the prayers that have been lifted up? Every expert on the White House Coronavirus Task Force, uh, uh, who are the leading experts on infectious disease in the world, Tony, uh, look at those um, improved projections and believe that all, all the credit goes to the American people, to the fact that people have they went to coronavirus.gov or they reviewed the the 30 days to slow the spread where we ask people if you're sick stay home uh if someone in your household is tested positive keep the entire hospital uh, the entire uh household at home the 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 people that are working from home schooling from home um and uh, avoiding social gatherings of more than 10 using the drive through at restaurants people are doing these things and so where the initial projections were were grave and heartbreaking and the losses we've endured are still heartbreaking and will continue to be the progress that we're beginning to see is we really believe is evidence that the american people understand that um that uh, their future is in their hands mm-hmm. uh and uh, and what's most moving to me is that most americans know that that for for healthy people of every age the risk of the coronavirus for serious illness is still relatively low. Many people will only have flu-like symptoms, and many will have no symptoms at all. But what I think the American people have apprehended from early on is that for seniors with serious underlying health conditions or for anyone with a serious underlying condition or an immunodeficiency, the, the risk of a serious outcome or worse is very real. And so when you see people doing these things, Tony, it really is the American people demonstrating their heart and their compassion for their neighbor because they're, they are recognizing that that um, the risk here that none of us would, would want to take is to inadvertently spread the coronavirus to someone for whom the outcome uh, could be quite grave. And that's, that's what's most inspiring here. But I want to tell you, we, we have to look at the numbers because that's, that's the nature of, of uh, guiding national policy. But I want your viewers or your listeners, excuse me, to know that we know this is one life at a time. This is one right. family at a time. It's, and that we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve. But we do not grieve like those who have no hope. What we celebrate this Sunday gives us hope, and also the progress and compassion of the American people gives us hope as well. It certainly does. And and to speak to that issue very quickly, I know you have to go here in just a moment, Mr. Vice President, but churches have worked, I think, uh, very well with the administration by and large. There's been a few. uh, In fact, I've even met with some trying to encourage them to comply with the CDC guidelines and the guidance that have been put out. But we're now seeing in this time some some that are, I would say, overly zealous. We've seen mayors in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Greenville, Mississippi, and even some in, in your home state of Indiana who have 
you know, gone beyond what I think is reasonable in restricting religious liberty. And I know that this administration is very, very sensitive to that first freedom. Tony, and let me thank you for the work that you've done on the International Religious Freedom Commission. Uh, you know that in this president, uh, we have a, 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 a president and, a, and an administration that cherishes the freedom of religion of every American. But when we issued the guidelines um, from the White House task force asking people to avoid social gatherings of groups of more than 10, it really was about putting the health of the American people first. And um, we continue to encourage people, particularly in communities of faith, churches, synagogues, other places of worship, to heed the guidelines for these 30 days. Um, uh, we, we know it's challenging. In fact, today I made the point at the press conference to uh, remind people that, that, um, that the role that churches and their ministries are playing during this coronavirus epidemic has been incredible. The generosity, the compassion, the ministries are impacting lives every day. And we reminded people that even if you're not in the pew, if you're able to do so, that you should still contribute to these ministries because they're playing such a vital role in helping our communities through this time. But uh, we do do just strongly encourage everyone in the sound of my voice uh, to uh, heed the guidelines during this set period of time because we believe it is the most effective way to continue to build on the progress that we've seen. And this weekend, uh, the president announced that he'll be watching an online service at the White House. Uh, and Karen and I, for the third week in a row, will be gathered in the family room at the vice president's residence, and we'll be taking in uh, uh, Pastor Mark Vrogop at our home church, College Park, uh, in the Indianapolis area, and um, and uh, and then we'll do be doing a little skyping with our kids around the country for Easter brunch, and we're, we're we uh, we we know we know that it's a sacrifice for families. But as I try to gently remind fellow believers today, the Lord said, "Where two or more are gathered, there He is also." Uh, so we can still we can still celebrate that He is risen. Uh, this Sunday, we can we can be a blessing to one another and uh, and do our part uh, to slow the spread and hasten the day that we put the coronavirus behind us. Well, hopefully it's uh, hopefully that's very soon. And uh, Mr. Vice President, I do appreciate uh, you joining us today. And I, and I would encourage you. I, I know the Justice Department is, is on this, but as as evidence emerges that there may have been some that went too far and singling out religious institutions, that uh, that's something that's addressed in the days ahead. Because while uh, we're all in this together, these fundamental freedoms must be defended and protected here at home because it does have implications for what we do abroad as well. Well, just uh, rest assured that we will, uh, as you have done so well throughout your career, Tony, with this president, this vice president, this administration, will always stand for uh, our first freedom, uh, the freedom of religion. And uh, uh, and I thank you for your work, and God bless you, and happy Easter to you and all your listeners around America. Thank you, Mr. Vice President, to you and to, uh, to, to Karen as well. May you all have a, a blessed weekend. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Vice President Mike Pence, to find out more, go to the website. TonyPerkins.com. He's easy to track down. Just turn on the television. He's on every day now as uh, leading the 
Coronavirus Task Force. Um, we're going to talk more about this coming up uh, later in the program. Jeremy Dice, who is special counsel with First Liberty, is going to be here talking about a couple of these uh, rogue mayors that are going beyond the limits of the CDC, singling out churches, some trying to uh, have drive-in services like we're going to be doing. In fact, in my home community outside of Baton Rouge in Central, we're hosting one sunrise service, 7 a.m. Sunday. So if you'd like to come and join us, stay in your car, come as you are. Um, and, and other churches doing that across the country. In fact, in Washington State, uh, they've been trying to do it. Indiana, they're doing some of that. Mississippi. But some mayors are uh, singling out churches. And, and that's something we're going to continue to watch very closely and press this administration to follow up on after this crisis is over. Uh, also, still to come, right after this, we're going to be joined by the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. He's going to be talking about a new change to guidelines that's being given to local jurisdictions, to the states, regarding the clergy. And we're going to wrap up today's program with uh, Carter Conlon, Senior Pastor of Times Square Church in New York City. Many are lamenting that the uh, churches won't be meeting this weekend in their buildings, and therefore not many people are going to hear the good news of the resurrection. Well, the evidence would suggest what we've been seeing and what we've been talking about here on Washington Watch is that there's probably a lot more people going to be hearing the good news because we're thinking and acting outside the box, the four walls of the church. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch to come right after this. Is historic masculinity lost forever? Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in a culture of gender confusion? We need men to be men, tough with compassionate strength, bent toward justice without compromise, locking arms and standing. We need to be the men God created us to be and fight for all that is right, true, and just. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference. To find out more, go to StandCourageous.com. This conference is led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will invest in you, helping you understand your role as a defender, a provider, an instructor, a battle buddy, and a chaplain so that you can have the generational influence that God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, Many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. 
In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. We can all benefit. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Holy Friday. As we were talking about at the top of the program and even talking with the uh, in the previous segment about how this administration sees the faith community, churches, uh, as as partners, not competitors, which is, is very important in delivering help, essential help within the communities uh, all across America. Join me now to talk more about this is the acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. Mr. Secretary, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. Great. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you having me on this afternoon. Well, absolutely. And I, I want to thank you and your team. I've been working with them the last couple of weeks over uh, the, the CISA guidelines that are, I think, reflective of where this administration is when it comes to uh, the faith community. I say CISA guidelines. We use these uh, terms, throw them around. It, it essentially identifies uh, essential uh, personnel. And under the latest guidelines put out last week, Clergy uh, and the services that clergy provide are now seen and listed as essential services. Uh, explain the importance of that to uh, to our listeners. Absolutely. Let me just back up. And so, our Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, as you indicated, created uh, what we call the Essential Critical Infrastructure Workers Guidance or List. And so, this is a list of industries in our uh, critical infrastructure sectors that need to go to work every day, need to keep the economy running, the supply chain uh, full. And as governors put in place shelter-in-place procedures, we need to make sure that certain individuals can still come and go and to do their job so that the lights turn on, the water keeps running, uh, there's gas in the trucks to deliver the, the PPE and, and the like. So we've uh, CISA went through a, a, a process and looking at the different sectors and making sure that we had the right information on there, and they did that in a collaborative approach. And as you indicated, last week they released version 2.0. We're actually up to 3.0 this weekend. But in the 2.0 version, uh, we did include clergy in there, uh, recognizing that they uh, provide a, a supportive and essential service, particularly uh, in a number of hospitals, uh, funeral homes and the like as as we deal with COVID and, and, and everything that that entails. So we worked with a, a variety of folks to make sure that we continue to um, encompass the right individuals, the right workforce, the right essential services on that list because we know governors are paying attention. There's been upwards of 20 governors that have linked to this specific list uh, when they put some of their procedures, their shelter-in-place procedures in place. Um, and we've gotten pretty good feedback about the work that we've done with this list. And as you indicated, I'm happy, uh, you know, that we did include uh, clergy there, again, to provide that supportive and essential function, particularly at uh, during this period of time, particularly, at, again, at hospitals, funeral homes, and, and other places. Yeah, and it's, it's important to, un, to underscore, Mr. Secretary, the what you said, that these are guidance. This is guidance that's put out to the states. The federal government and the CDC guidelines are guidelines. It is the states that then takes this guidance and puts into place the various orders uh, that affect people in communities across the country. Is that correct? 
That, that is correct. So what we try to do is provide information to our, our governors across the country and provide them that, this guidance, but they're in the best position to tailor um, the list uh, for their essential services. West Virginia may need uh, minors uh, to, go to, to go to work every day. Obviously, New York City probably needs the financial services uh, folks going to, to work every day. So it's all, we, we want to make sure that there's flexibility in the system, but the guidelines are national guidelines. But you are correct, Tony. It's up to each individual governors to sort of operationalize how those guidelines are really going to work in their respective states. I mean, you've uh, you, you've had a lot on your plate when you, you came in. We had the issues on our southern border, but this seems to eclipse everything. This is one of the most significant challenges, I think, that we have had in centuries, uh, you know, probably going back to the Spanish flu back in the uh, early eight, nine, uh, 19, 1900s, that we have uh, seen this type of uh, you know, pandemic move across our country, taxing pretty much everything. Um, how is how are the systems we have in place holding up? We're doing well. I, you know, I think it's it's important to emphasize the unprecedented nature of of how the country is coming together and really tackling this issue. And, and we often talk about FEMA, who's leading the coordinated response for the government, and they do this every day. They do this every year. Uh, plan for both natural and, and man-made disasters, uh, but it's usually very localized. It's usually a handful of states that they're right. uh, surging material support and resources into. Uh, today, we're looking at uh, surging resources into all 50 states and territories. So I often say it's a it's the response of a Category 5 or a Category 4 hurricane in all 50 states all at the same time, all wanting the same equipment, the same testing, um, so it is a challenge, uh, but I will say that the team at, at FEMA, in conjunction with HHS, with DOD, and probably about 15 or 20 other uh, federal uh, agencies, are doing a great job managing this at the, at the federal level. Uh, but it comes down to our great partners in state, cities, mayors, governors, uh, executing this at the local level. And that's really what they're good at. And we see it working every day. It's a challenge. The supply chain is a challenge. Getting PPE is a challenge. I will say that we've got about 170 countries that are dealing with COVID-related issues, all trying to buy the same equipment, the same supplies, all at the same time from very few vendors. Um, and so we're doing everything that we can uh, to make sure that we get the right quanti- the right supplies, the right uh, resources to the right places in the right quantities. And, and we're doing a very good job at that. Well, and I'm having lived in South Louisiana most of my life and having gone through a number of those hurricanes, including the Category 5s, it's, um, it is a significant challenge for the entire nation to be uh, facing this. So I, I commend you, Mr. Secretary, for the, the work that your team and, and, of course, the president, I think, has done a stellar job in, uh, in leading the entire administration. Great. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, a lot of the work, again, we've got Department is obviously, uh, we do a lot of work at FEMA, but CBP, our Customs and Border Protection, United States Coast Guard, we talked about CISA. We've got a lot of different elements uh, that are playing a, a, a very specific role, um, and a lot of our law enforcement entities are interdicting fraudulent um, material test kits, um, counterfeit goods uh, regarding COVID that uh, we're also protecting the American people from. 
Well, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for uh, joining us on this Friday afternoon. Uh, we're out of time, but I, I want to get you back on to talk about some of the other aspects of uh, how you are working to defend the faith community that uh, oftentimes finds itself the target of uh, attack. So, Mr. Secretary, thanks for being with us. Great. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, Secretary Chad Wolf of Homeland Security. All right. Don't go away. There's more Washington Watch to come on the other side of this break. Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad you are with us on this Friday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. As I uh, mentioned at the top of the program, uh, many, uh, many churches, as we've been encouraging them to do, are abiding by CDC guidelines. But they've also been thinking and acting outside the box, the four walls of the church, not letting this stop them from doing ministry. In fact, many uh, are holding this weekend as it's we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ drive-in services but some elected officials are using these emergency declarations to, to literally trample on religious liberty and stop gathering such as these drive-in services joining now to talk more about this is Jeremy Dice he's special counsel with First Liberty and they've been defending many of these churches that are out there some in uh, Kentucky and in Mississippi Jeremy welcome back to Washington Watch Thanks for having me, Tony. Always good to be here. Well, so, Jeremy, these are churches that, you know, like we've been encouraging, look, abide by the CDC guidelines. Don't have these mass meetings. Don't put people's lives at risk. And so they're thinking creatively and they're doing things that protect the, the, their congregates and the public. But yet you have officials like the mayor in Greenville, Mississippi, and the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, saying you can't even do that. Yeah, it really is an overreach. And look, you and I have been saying the exact same thing. Let's let's be careful. Let's be cautious. Let's be creative in the way that we engage in worship. And we've been even telling everybody that the, the church is really necessary right now to provide that sense of calm and comfort that the government really just can't do. Right. But when these officials then come in and, and then somehow uh, overstep here to say that, uh, well, look, it's okay if you park at Sonic drive through or in the Costco parking lot as you're waiting to go in for groceries. But then they send out cruiser after police cruiser to a parking lot of a church, not to protect them from anything, but to intimidate their worship, and then issue them citations for meeting in a church uh, parking lot inside the car, doors closed, windows up, following all the CDC guidelines. Look, this is a far cry from the America that I think any of us can possibly expect. I mean, this is this is trampling upon religious freedom, because as you pointed out, um, this is selective application. You know, when when they go to restrict freedoms, it has to be in its most limited capacity. They have to have justification for it and it has to be uniformly applied. And in this case, in these jurisdictions, it's not. And um, and I'm glad you're there. You're defending these churches. What response are you getting thus far from the uh, the mayors? The cold shoulder, unfortunately, is the only response that we're getting. In fact, I think even Senator McConnell sent a letter recently to the the mayor in uh, Louisville, who we're we're filing a lawsuit against right now. He hasn't even extended the courtesy of responding to that letter to United States Senator. So I feel a little bit better that we haven't gotten a letter of response as well. But, look, we said the exact same thing that you just said there, that in our guidance that you can find at firstlifty.org, we've put together uh, saying, look, these temporary restrictions are probably okay so long as two things happen. One, they're temporary, 
You can't be permanent like Mayor de Blasio suggested. Right. And number two, that they are equally applied. Well, look, you can't say, as, it, as the city of McKinney, Texas did, well, you can have as many people as you want put together a newscast at night, but you can only have 10 people in a church put together a live Facebook account, a Facebook live feed for your church service. That's unequal application, and you, it, governments cannot be treating churches differently than everybody else in their community. The one that really takes the cake for me, though, is the mayor of uh, Greenville, Mississippi, who uh, put out an order specifically denying any church the right to be able to follow CDC guidelines and have drive-in church. Uh, and more than that, he sent his police force out to enforce that order, some issuing citations for, get this, $500 to people who don't either have Internet access or know how to access the Internet to, to have their, their live stream service. And so they go and park in a parking lot following the guidelines with the windows up, doors shut, staying in the car, and, and they're penalized for that. Or, or worse, like uh, our client last night holding services at his church, there were no less than five police cruisers around his church. There were hardly that many church parishioners in cars in his parking lot. And yet they're there to intimidate. That kind of intimidation towards religion, that's not the stuff of America. That's not the freedom that we expect in this country. That's, right. that's taking a page from some other page in history that we do not want to return to. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the points that Senator McConnell, I did talk to his office uh, yesterday, and, and, and I got a copy of the letter that he sent to uh, Mayor Greg Fisher there in Louisville. He said, during any crisis, it's important that we continue to respect and protect the constitutional rights of our citizens. I write to you today to urge you to do everything you can to protect one of the rights dearest to our shared constituents, the right to freely exercise their religion. Jeremy, I think when we see, and we don't see it often, but when we see a crisis like this, I, I think this, what this does is reveals the underlying hostility that some have to religion. I think that's what we're seeing in Louisville. I think that's what we're seeing in Greenville, Mississippi. It, it at least reveals the vision that the left has for the right to worship, as they call it where you're able to worship anything or anyone you want to, so long as you take that inside your house, keep it within those four walls, and don't ever come out in the public, don't take it to school, don't go to work with it, and certainly don't try to evangelize someone on the street with it at all. That's not religious freedom, as you have said many, many times from many different perspectives. That's something else entirely. What religious freedom means is what we're all missing right now, the desire to be with one another in worship, the right peaceably to assemble, as the First Amendment reminds us, and all that comes with it. I look forward to the day when we can have that full-throated religious freedom once again. Well, we are thankful, Jeremy Dice, for First Liberty that is out there defending pastors and churches and Americans and their right and their freedom to practice their faith. Thanks so much for taking time to join us on this Friday afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, folks, if you live in one of those jurisdictions, speak out. Uh, this is a fundamental freedom that we must protect, and the best way to protect is by exercising. All right, when we come back, while there are restrictions in place, and some would say the gospel's not uh, going to be heard this weekend, I, I beg to differ. I think it's going to be heard by far more people because churches are thinking creatively. Pastor Carter Conlon joins me next. Don't go away.
Where can young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of real manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of gender confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will help you understand your role as a defender, provider, instructor, battle buddy, and chaplain so that you can have the generational influence God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. Recently, a bill called the Fairness for All Act was introduced to the House of Representatives. In response, FRC has a new resource, the Unfairness of the Fairness for All Act. This act attempts to find a compromise between the First Amendment's protection of religious freedom and the demands of the LGBT community. But, unfortunately, it is a poorly drafted bill that would negatively impact religious freedom, true equality, and the privacy and safety of women. Learn more at frc.org slash fairness for all. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back to this special Good Friday edition of Washington Watch. So glad that you are with us on this Friday afternoon. I do hope you are making plans somehow, somewhere to worship on Sunday morning. Maybe it's in your family room, your living room. Maybe it's around the kitchen table with the family. Maybe it's uh, like we're doing in our community, a drive-in service. Maybe it's watching online. But this is the weekend in which we celebrate the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Overcame death, victorious from the grave. And it is where we find our hope, and it is why we can have confidence in the midst of the uncertainty that we face right now. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, my good friend, a member of the FRC board. He is uh, the senior pastor at Times Square Church in New York City, uh, Pastor Carter Conlon. Pastor Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Tony. God bless you. Also, I should mention the author of the book, It's Time to Pray. You know what? Th- that's a title that never gets old. Oh, <laughs> oh, thank God. I mean, if ever there was a time to pray, it's now. And people are starting to realize that more than I think they ever have before. Even even those that are not followers of Christ as we are, are starting to call out to God. And uh, that that's an amazing thing in itself. Yeah, we've actually seen the Pew Research, uh, I think a week before last, uh, new survey they released that uh, 55% of Americans have prayed to see the coronavirus ended. And I think it's somewhere like two-thirds of Americans are praying on a daily basis. So uh, people are praying that normally would not pray. And, and that's a part of 
this, I would say, opportunity for the church. Many are, you know, fretting the fact that we cannot meet this Sunday as we normally would meet the biggest Sunday of the year for Christians where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't keep us from ministry. We're actually seeing those churches that look outward to ministry as opposed to looking inward to meeting are having a phenomenal impact. And you're seeing that yourself. Oh, just absolutely amazing. The the number of live streams and the people that are that are opting in uh, to hear the Word of God who might normally not be prone to that. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing as we reach out. And, uh, you know, I have a slogan that I've said to our staff. It's it's time to cast the Internet on the right side of the boat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, for many who have been fishing for years and caught very little or nothing, I mean, this is an, this is an amazing opportunity because people's hearts are open. They're stuck in their homes. They're looking for hope. Um and and they're coming in just by word of mouth. I mean, we I don't even know how many. It's in the thousands and thousands that are listening uh, when we go out online. So I think um, not being able to meet is might actually be a good thing for the church at this time, Tony. You know, and I, and I want to clarify something because it's not just people listening or people watching. It's people responding. You you well, have yeah. people responding to that message that are deepening their faith or coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we, we had 276 people respond by text last Sunday, you know, as, as, as they started coming in from different time zones and such like. Uh, just phenomenal. I mean, people that many of whom were not believers as, as I said, as we are, but they are at home, they're listening, families are gathered around the table, uh, they're scared and they're looking for uh, hope for the future. And if, if we are able to present a clear gospel, a clear saving gospel. I mean, I just I just went at the end of my message to the ABCs of the gospel. Admit that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died in your place, and confess with your mouth uh, Him as as your Lord. And uh, I mean, just there's just just an, we've got our staff calling people all week just to follow up uh, with the new converts that came in just with a simple gospel message. You, you and I have talked about this before, Pastor Carter. You were there in New York City when 9-11 took place. Your church, the Lord, had, the Holy Spirit had kind of led you to prepare. Um, you didn't know what for what, but you had been in that process, and then it happened. How would you compare what we see happening in terms of people's, the, the, the fright, how people are frightened, the uncertainty, and the openness to the gospel? How does it compare? Well, the, the in, uh, at 9-11, it was a sudden shock. It was the uh, people were terrified. They were stuck in the city. They couldn't get out, a lot of tourists. Um, we were taking people into the church uh, and feeding them and housing them, and uh, we started a prayer meeting nightly, which was literally packed out with people coming to Christ from countries all over the world because it's a, it was a high tourist area. But thankfully, God had already spoken to our hearts um, starting in about April of the same year that something was coming to the city that we needed to be prepared for. And it came in prayer. It came in a – actually, I was driving back from Rochester. I was reading the book of Hebrews. A pastoral friend was driving. And um, I got to the part in the book of Hebrews where it just talked about coming boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And it was it was as I was reading it. I felt the Lord telling me, prepare the people for a crisis moment in the city and teach them how to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help 
so that they will have a strength in this moment that the people who are outside of God's kingdom are not going to have. And so we just began to meet nightly to pray, and I began to really teach the people about, you know, being prepared, hearing the voice of God, knowing the mind of God. And, of course, when 9-11 hit, we were ready, and the church was ready. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I remember walking into one of the rooms uh, as the second tower was struck, and there was about 30 or so people on their knees in one of our uh, our offshoot rooms. And I clapped my hands, and I said, folks, the time to pray was yesterday. <laughs> I said, the crisis has arrived, and it's time to get up and get to work. And everybody just got up and rolled up their sleeves, and and uh, we just got to work doing a lot of different uh, things to help people in the city. And, and as I re- recall, I remember uh, preaching at a church the uh, that following Sunday, and it was packed. And there was a this move toward God, but it was like as it came quickly, it left quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think maybe the difference here is that this is something that... You know, our patterns of life have changed here. You know, it takes like 18 days to change a habit. And we're mm-hmm. now, you know, we're, we're in this, uh, this basically, you know, timeout. I was almost as God has put us in a timeout where we're, you know, we're back away from our normal routines. And, and that I think could have a much more protracted impact upon American society, the church, the spiritual, emphasis that people pursue after this is over yes uh, i think uh, you know i think Tony, people are going to find a strength in prayer and communion with god that they've not known before it's it's maybe been somewhere on the back burner but as people begin to seek the face of god he begins to respond and as he responds there's a discovery of a strength that wasn't there uh, it was not found in our programs or our agendas and all the rest of the things that, that we do. I actually feel that it's not a bad thing that the hand of God has reached down and kind of pulled the plug on a lot of our church activity because we're having to pray again. Yeah, we're back in the upper rooms, like we don't have any, uh, we don't have any lights or smoke, or we have no, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But God, what would you have us to do? And will you speak? And those that are willing to do that, we are, we're not going to go back to the old normal. I can, I, I can tell you right out of the gate. There's, there's stuff that's been happening even just in our church that I know that we're not going back to the way things used to be. There's a harvest out there and we're just starting to realize that if we will pray, God will show us how to reach them. There is a, a, a recalibration. I think that's taking place of the church. We're returning back to what is important. It's not our, it's not our meetings. It's not our programs, but it's the, the mission of the church to reach the lost. And, you know, you, you just see it. People are, are open. And I, I'm hoping that we'll seize this, this moment, this opportunity in time. If we have the proper relationship with God and we have the confidence of knowing where we're going, where are, where we're going to spend eternity, the, these temporal, Conflicts, challenges, difficulties won't phase us, and we'll be able, in confidence, to share the hope that is within us for those that have no hope. And and that's where the the the, the rubber meets the road when it comes to the gospel. Well, yeah, I mean, and and we've got to get back to the work of God. The work of God on the earth is the redemption of the lost. It's why we, in my opinion, why we were left here absolutely people in the first place, and. We got a little bit diverted from that, where it turned inward, and it became about my life, my liberty, and the pursuit of my happiness, even in the house of God. 
and unfortunately, others were left out of that pursuit. And uh, even even a lot of uh, books that have been written in the last 20 years are just all self-focused. But realistically, the power of God is found in the heart that says, Lord, I want to be used of you to reach my neighbors. I want to be used of you to to do what you said you were sent to do in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, to open prison doors, give sight to the blind, to see those wounded in heart healed, to see the captive set free. This is what my purpose in life is. And so for the for the genuine believer, we're, I, I don't know about others out there, but I'm not wringing my hands at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, God, this is amazing because I am left on the earth so that people don't have to end up in hell for eternity. And Lord, help me to make that a reality in, in people's lives uh, throughout my day and uh, whatever you give me to do, help me to make that a reality. And it takes all the fear out of your heart. I'm not afraid at all, period. You know, I'm just... It's, While I'm here, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to keep reaching people. Isn't that a, such a great way to be able to live with, without fear, without uh, concern about the circumstances that surround us? Because while we may not know what tomorrow holds, we know that we serve a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He keeps His promises. And He has told us He will never leave us nor forsake us, even to the end of the age. Well, yeah, I, I always believe, too, that perfect love casts out fear. You know, I, I know that I'm perfectly loved by God. I am received as if I had never sinned because of Jesus Christ. I am secure in the Father's hand, which Christ said I am. So heaven is my is my home for eternity. Ruling and reigning with Christ is what I will do. It's where we will be as believers. And also... There's this love of God that he is willing to shed abroad in in and through our hearts, in mine and yours and others, which casts out the fear of people. You know, I'm, I'm not even afraid of my enemies. I mean, just uh, I'll do the best I can to, to win the scorner, the scoffer, the immoral, whatever lifestyle they're living in. And I'm not afraid of the response or the reaction. None of it bothers me because the perfect love of God, if it's in your heart for the lost, casts out the fear of rejection. Uh, when the mocker does what the mocker does. I mean, that's just reality. It's, right. it's always going to be like that. Yeah, they do what they do, but we should do what we're to do. That is to pray yes. and to uh, and, and look to the Lord. Uh, just a couple of minutes left, uh, Pastor Carter Conlon. What does uh, Resurrection Sunday look like to you now? Uh, what's coming up this Sunday, given the uh, the new constraints that we're operating under? Well, I'm going to be in a, in a one room with 10 people, and uh, we're broadcasting out live on the Internet. Uh, obviously, no huge orchestra or things like that. But actually, the 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 more we've been pared down, the bigger the audience is becoming. It's just people people gravitate to sincerity and truth. We don't need the whole big show behind us. They gravitate to what they believe is genuine, what they believe is sincere. And uh, you know, the gospel I preach is about dead men living. So I thought <laughs> this is a great opportunity for people who are dead in sin uh, to come back to life and to have that promise of eternity. And uh, so I'm just so, so looking forward to just sharing again the basic truths of of what differentiates um, Jesus Christ from every other religion in the world. And uh, I'm trusting that as 276 people came to Christ last week, the same thing will happen again or even on a a much larger scale this Sunday. You know, when, with all of the other things kind of put aside, it, it is a return to the Word, 
I mean, that's what you're, you're preaching the word. That's all that there is. And, oh, yeah. And that's where the power is. It, it, is, mm-hmm. it, is, it is his word that he said would not return unto him void. It's not our music. It's not uh, our, you know, programs. It's his word. And I think the more centered we are on his word, uh, the, the easier it is for God to bless it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Carter Conlon, as always, great to have you on the program. I just appreciate your steadfastness. And right there in the heart of New York City, standing firm for the truth of God's Word. What a blessing. It, it is a privilege to be put in such a place. You know, I just I thank God that we need His presence and His power, and He's never failed us. So I just thank God with all my heart. Amen. All right, brother, you have a wonderful resurrection weekend, and uh, we will talk very soon. All right, thanks. God bless you, Tony. All right, uh, Pastor Carter Conlon, pastor at Times Square Church in New York City, and as I said, a member of the FRC board, but a, uh, a just a, a, a true warrior for God's kingdom. And by the way, encourage you, if you've not gotten a copy of his book, It's Time to Pray, certainly would encourage you to do so. Uh, just phenomenal stories of how God has answered his prayers uh, as he has just sought God and stuck to uh, his word. Well, folks, as we uh, move into this weekend, I certainly encourage you to worship somewhere, somehow, right there in your home with your family. Men, I encourage you to be the spiritual leaders of your home. Open the word of God. Read the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he overcame the grave and defeated death, that we might have life, have it more abundantly, and have it eternally. And uh, lead your family in worship this weekend. Or join those like Pastor Carter online. And again, I invite those that uh, are in the area where I live, in central Louisiana, to join us for a drive-in sunrise service, 7 a.m. Sunday morning at the stadium for the high school, the central stadium. Uh, So find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Folks, again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. Until next time, I leave you again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234.